Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. Well, good morning, church. All of you watching online, good morning. It's great to be here. Great to have you online. Great time of worship, right? It's so amazing that we can do that. We had a great yesterday. Um, We had Love the Valley, and we were able to love our neighbors, and it was so awesome to see so many of you show up here early in the morning and to see you uh, make groups, and so we were able to wash windows. There's a guy, a young guy that came to see me after and said, I've never washed so many windows, and so it was cool to hear, and uh, we were able to to serve uh, 2,500 dogs uh, hot dogs, it was pretty cool to see, and so many, uh, got to specify, not dogs, but hot dogs, eh? and uh, like a lot of uh, uh, hampers, also over 150 or something like that, so it was pretty cool to see the church come together and to love our, our region, our neighbors, and we're called to do that, right, not just once a year, we're called to be led by the Spirit, we, we're called to uh, live a life with a heart that is inclined toward our neighbor, and we want to be a, a church known for our generosity, amen? We want to be generous, we want to serve others, and uh, there was so many, uh, we'll hear a bit about that next week, but there was some amazing testimonies of how people were ministered to and encouraged. So thank you all for your participation, your prayers, and your involvement. All right, like it was mentioned, we're having our last prayer of, uh, Official Prayer Summit meeting next, uh, this Tuesday. We'll be focusing on, on uh, the call that God has placed on our, on our lives. We, I've talked about uh, our extension when it comes to ministry in Morden. And uh, we want to raise up leaders. So we invite you to come to our prayer meeting this Tuesday. This Tuesday. So at this point, I would ask you to stand and we'll just place ourselves before the Lord. Can we do that? Invite, to, invite you to stretch your hand in front, in front of you as a symbol of your openness to God. This morning, Father, we just want to tell you that we love you, and we stand before you, and we lift up your name, and we worship you in spirit and truth. You're so amazing. You're so good. And we submit ourselves to you. We lay our lives at your feet. You know everything about our lives, and, and we choose to trust you. We choose to rely on you to make you our solution, to make you the desire of our hearts, the target of our hearts. So I just pray that you would be glorified in this place, that you would come, that you would come and speak and reveal your thoughts to every heart. And, and, and I know that you have a word in season, that you want to encourage, you want to comfort, you want to exhort. And so have your way in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's awesome to see you all. Now, we've been talking in the last weeks on the end times, and I'll be wrapping this series up. There's so much to say. It could be extended, and uh, I, I believe at one point we'll do part two. But what I'd like to talk about this morning is I'd like to talk about the nation that will never go away, the nation that will never go away. And I'll be talking about Israel, trying to unpack um, the, the, uh, the, uh, the call of Israel and the place of, of Israel in our landscape or also when it comes to their role and um, the calling that God has placed on Israel. And uh, what I've shared in the last few weeks kind of gave a snapshot of the time that we live in. And um, when we look at 
our uh, generation or the season that we live in when it comes to the human race, we've never been um, in a post-Christian society like we are today. Right now, we, we are uh, living in a post-Christian generation in our nation. I remember two decades ago, we, could, we were able to see that in Europe, but we have to say that we live right now in a secular nation, and it's post-Christian. And we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be conscious of that. And um, a few years ago, about three, four, maybe four years ago, me and my wife, we went out east, and we, we did the trip uh, from Montreal to Quebec City. And uh, instead of taking the highway, we, we, we uh, travel, it, it's called the, the Road of the King. Uh, so it stops at every, every village on the St. Lawrence, and there's some beautiful churches. And what really shocked us was that most of these, all the churches were all museums now, and they were kept, uh, they were kept and, and they, were, they were asking funds so, so that history uh, would be preserved. And it was sad to see these churches that became museums. And when, when we look at the English world, it's not as drastic, but the reality is we're living in a post-Christian world. And so the church has never been living in that world before, never faced that before. Before when it came to places where they never heard the gospel, the church went there and preached Jesus. But now we live in a society that heard about Jesus and rejected Jesus. But at the same time, there is another generation that's raised, that is rising up that never heard the gospel. And I shared about that last week, that we have a calling for our nation. But we live in our, in our generation in a particular time. We look at uh, science and modernization when it comes to communication and tech. Like uh, humanity has never been in this place where we have access to, to so much information for the best and, or for the worst. Also, when we look at our population, if you look at 1950s, in the 1950s, uh, they, were in, um, they were in shock to see the rise of the population. At that time, it was 2.5 million, and today we're close to uh, 8 billion people, and if you look at um, the, uh, the scale of, of, the, of the population in history, it was pretty much stable, and it's, it was, there was always a small increase, but in the last two centuries, the increase just went boom. In the last century, it just exploded, and, and this is where we are. And we look at the financial fragility that we are worldwide, where countries are just printing dollars, printing dollars and nothing to back it up. This is the time we live in. You look at the global village effect, where we have centralized power now, where countries are joined together, and you just need a few to control the whole, the whole world. And, and so this is happening. We've never really seen that. We've seen some empires in, in the past, for sure, like we, where we would see a dictator or an emperor control a good portion of the world. But when it, comes to, um, when it comes to the whole globe right now, there's just a few major influences and just to say that our time is, uh, we've never been, uh, we've never seen that in the history of humanity. And one of the things also that we saw in the last hundred years is uh, the, the return of Israel to the promised land. And it's, um, it's this little country that everybody knows about, but um, doesn't really understand why they're there. Uh, if you look at how many countries that you have in Africa, I believe it's 54, 56 countries that we have in Africa, and most of the names of these countries we, we don't know. We would remember a few, right? If you go on the globe, you could find some, but there's always kind of a country that you say, oh, I didn't know it was there, right? 
But everybody knows about Israel, right? The believer or the unbeliever, everybody knows of the place of Israel on the map. And one of the reasons is because they're always in the news, right? In the last 30 years for myself, as I grew up, Israel has always been in the news. And one of the greatest miracles that happened in the last century was to see Israel come back to their land in 1948. Nobody predicted that except in the word of God. Nobody thought that Israel would come back after 2,000 years. It's one of the miracles of our era to see the nation of Israel uh, be there into the promised land. If you look at uh, the, the history of it in 1915-ish, 1919, the British were, were working hard to have the state of Israel. And after the Second World War, we know what happened when they divided the countries and all that. They gave a spot to Israel, and that created a lot of tension. The, the moment that Israel was born, there was war. The moment that they settled there, there was, there was war. So it hasn't been easy for Israel. And one of the major events in the life of Israel in the modern era is 1967, where there was five nations that were at war against Israel, and Israel did not stand a chance. And what happened is one, at one moment, if you, you can read it, you'll, you, you can read it, there's a lot of info when it comes to that. At one moment, the Israelites were able to, to go, a few of their, fly, their, their, uh, their planes were able to go under the radar, and they were able to bombard the Egyptians' army uh, when it comes to the Air Force. And, and even that is a miracle of how that happened. And they were able to win back Jerusalem in six days. Nobody would have thought that. So when, when it comes to Israel, there's this question mark in our world. Why are they there? Why, what happened? And I believe they were placed by God. I'd like to unpack the role of Israel when it comes to uh, the church, when it comes to ourselves, and when it comes to the scripture. If you look at Isaiah 11, verse 12, it says, I will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. When Isaiah prophesies that, for sure he prophesies the exile of, the, of Judah to Babylon, where they were captive for 70 years. But what really catches our attention here is the four corners of the earth. There's a difference between being captives in Babylon compared to the four corners of the earth. What happened in 1948, Jews from all around the planet, they came back to the promised land. And there's still a lot of Jews that are not living in Israel. Actually, there's more Jews out of Israel than in Israel. But there was a, there was a great move of, of Jews, especially in Europe and Russia, that came down and settled into the promised land. I think there's more Jews or as much Jews in the states that there are in the city of Israel. But just to say is that uh, when we look at the state of Israel, it's a miracle. And I don't have time to talk about that. There's so much. I read a lot on that topic. And I was just amazed to see the miracle of 1948. But when we look at the Israelites, their history, it wasn't easy for them. They experienced a lot of persecution. Even at the first council of the church, uh, when the church came together 300 uh, some um, AD, uh, they, there was this statement that the Jews should be, should be killed or the Jews should, the Jews should be rejected. You, you think about the Spanish Inquisition in the 1400s where the Jews were expelled of Spain and lots of them were killed. 
Look at the crusades that happened to the promised land. If for some of you, if you like movies like uh, the, uh, the uh, Templars and, and crusades with the sword. Uh, so there was, major, there was eight major crusades. And the first crusade, they killed a ton of Jews. And the, the Jews were persecuted and, and killed. You look at Martin Luther. That's one of the reformers of the faith, the one that talked about grace. And in his letters, he wanted to see, when he wrote down, he wanted to see all the Jews dead. Actually, that was one of the things. He wanted to see Jews be killed. Actually, when Hitler conquered Poland, or went to war, not conquered, went to war to Poland, and to start the Holocaust, he did it on Luther's birthday. Just to say, to his desire when it comes to the Holocaust, one of the things was to purge, uh, the purge the earth of the Jews. And uh, we see in the, in the church, in the history of a church, of the church, a hatred regarding the Jews because their belief is that they killed Jesus. So they killed the Messiah, so they deserve to die. You, you look at Mel Gibson's movie of the Passion, actually a lot of synagogues and Jews were persecuted after that movie. Like a lot of Christians went to, went to the movies, a lot of people watched the movies, and when they left their, the movie, uh, they went and persecuted uh, synagogues and Jews, and actually it had to be announced on, 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 in the press to say, hey guys, don't persecute the Jews, and, and it was triggered by uh, the passion. And so, so we can see that there was a desire to find, find a blame and to blame someone for the death of Jesus. One of the things I, I want to share to you this morning that's in my heart is that we, we, we need to realize that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. The battle we face, it's not against people. It's not about people. It has never been about people. There's a battle between God and the enemy. I'm not saying a battle between good and evil because we are not dualists. We believe that God is in control and God sits on the throne. But we, we, we know that he's victorious and we know that no one compares to him. But we're also aware of a spiritual war. We know that there's demons. We know there's antichrist. And we know that the enemy is at war when it comes to everything about God. We've got to be conscious of that. It says in Ephesians that we deal with the prince of the air. And so the, if there's a battle going on. The battle is spiritual. And one of the battles that was when it comes to the Jews before his first, the first coming of the Messiah was regarding the seed and the seed is Jesus when you look at Esther and Haman where Haman wanted to kill the Jews it was because of the seed because the enemy was aware that the Messiah would come so if we can destroy this people this this nation then there's a chance that the Messiah um, will not come and we know that his, his plan failed and we know that what he wished for the Jews happened to him but one of the things that the enemy is against, and I think that sometimes we're not aware about that, is that God is a God of covenant. God does com covenants. You've got this Abraham, Abraham covenant, and I'll talk about that in a moment. You've got the Mosaic covenant. We have a new covenant uh, when it comes to the blood of Jesus, the New Testament. But when it comes to covenant, is that there's a war going on. The enemy doesn't like the covenant that God has with us, and, and, and the meaning of the covenant, or what the covenant is linked to, is God has affection for humanity, and the enemy dislikes what God's like. Likes. And so when it comes to covenants, the enemy is again against the covenant that God made with Israel. And I'd like to unpack that in a moment. But at the same time, there's different school that we, that we deal with in, in, in our nation or in our, in our era. And one of the school is fundament, the fundament, fundamentalists. The fundamentalists, 
they believe, and you got some major uh, key speakers of mega churches in the states that are fundament, fundamentalist, and what they believe is that the Jews, whatever they do, it's all fine and dandy. Actually, the Jews will be saved on their own. They don't need to hear the gospel. They're God's people, and they're fine, so we don't have to preach the gospel to them. I think that's wrong. It's, I really believe that the, the Jews, uh, the Hebrew people, are in need of, of the same Savior that we have, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. I don't believe there's two gospel. I don't think there's two ways to be saved. There's only way and through Jesus Christ. So the Jews, too, they need to be saved. They need to experience salvation. I remember hearing a... a um, Messianic Jews saying, we need to hear the gospel. And sometimes we Westerners, what happens is that we are in love with the people of Israel, but we don't realize that they need to hear the gospel too. They need to experience Jesus in their lives. Like when it comes to the Hebrew people, not everything they do is fine. It's like a, a parent that thinks that his kids never do anything wrong, right? Are you a parent like this? It's always the other kid's fault, and your kids are always like perfect, right? And you go to talk, the, the, the teacher invites you, uh, and, you the, and the teacher wants to talk about your kids, but it's, no, your kids are always, you know, perfect, right? But when it comes to the Israelites, they're not perfect in, in, in everything they do, so they need to turn to God, they need to experience repentance. So, so there's this extreme view of fundamentalists where, where they believe that the Jews are a perfect nation, whatever they do is fine, uh, they, they, there's a green... Um, Stamp, or there's a, an, appro uh, an approval on everything that you do, and I think that's wrong. But there's another school that is on the other extreme. It's uh, replacement theology, where that belief, and you see also mega churches preach that too, uh, replacement theology, and that is that the church replaced Israel. So it doesn't matter what happens to to the Israelites or whatever. It doesn't matter what happens into, into the promised land. We are the church and, the, and, and, and Israel had its time. Now it's our time. So we don't really care of what's happening in Israel. And I think that's also a mistake. Um, we, got, we, we, got, we got to realize that God is a God of covenant. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even the Israel of God. It seems here the Israel of God is the Messianic Jews and, and, and the church. And I look at, I remember reading on, uh, on the... Uh, uh, the people that came back to the promised land, the Jews that came back in 48, because they didn't all come back in the same year, but in that a few years uh, span when they came back, there was only 30 Christians that were known in Israel when they came back. And you look at now, we see a remnant, we see that there's thousands of them. And I'm, I'm, I, really believe, I really believe it's called to grow too. You look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. And he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He's talking about the church here, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. But that doesn't eliminate the fact that Israel is also God's people. I, I'm not the one that will support the orthodox teaching of the Jews where they say that uh, the Messiah, 
doesn't exist, or the Messiah rephrases that the Messiah was a false Messiah. So when it comes to supporting Israel, it's not supporting whatever Israel wants to do. I'm, I'm not going to support the fact that the, the Orthodox Jews don't believe in the Messiah of Jesus. What I want to support is for them to come to the knowledge of Jesus because they need also to hear the good message or the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it's important, it's important for us not to get caught in replacement theology where we think that the church has replaced Israel. So why was Israel rebirth? That was my question I wanted to address today. Why did Israel come back? Why? What was the point of Israel to come back after 2,000 years of being away? They were out of of a country for 2,000 years, and in 48, they came back as a nation. The first reason is because God is faithful to his word. Can you say that to your neighbor? God is faithful to his word. God is faithful to his word. And I think we can apply that in our lives. God is faithful to his word. That we got to go to God's word and realize that what God says he's going to do is faithful to his word. I was saying this on, on Saturday evening, and there was a, a good group of uh, young, the younger generation. I was saying, it's, it's like when you uh, want to read, you want to meet Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and it's not following according to your timeline and you would want it to see it happen faster it's not happening and so what you decide to do is to forsake your values and your belief and you jump ahead of God and you start to date someone that you shouldn't date and, and, and you, you do your own stuff and, and, I, and I think it's, that's the thought when it comes to how we do life we don't want to do life on our own independent of God we want to look at God's word and realize that God is faithful to his word listen it's so huge whatever you face what you, whatever you deal with, you got to remember that God is always faithful to his word. So I got to go to God's word. He's, he says he will never forsake me. He says he will never leave me. So I've got to take God to his word. And when we look at the formation of Israel or the comeback of Israel into the promised land, it's because of God is faithful to his word. I remember this Messianic Jew saying, you know, guys... We're not more special than you. Because for us Christians, when we meet a Messianic Jews, it's like, wow, right? I, I'm like that. Wow, is a Jew that believes in Jesus. Wow, it's so amazing. And I remember him saying, don't think that we're better than you because the only reason that we are in the promised land, it's not because of us, it's because God said that we were going to be back and because God is faithful to his word. Wow. And so we, we got to see that too as we journey as Christians, that God is faithful to his word. So we want to do life knowing the fact that he's faithful to his word. You look at the promise that God or the covenant that God made with Abraham, Abraham. And this is why Israel is there, because God made a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, and i got to pause here because this is such a, a beautiful event. You have Abraham. His name there was Abram before he was a father of a multitude. So Abram here leaves Ur, Samaria, by the call of God, leaves everything behind, and he heads to the promised land. And his nephew tagged along. So they arrive at the promised land and they see this beautiful green valley and there's semi-deserts and green valley and he looks at Lot and he says, Lot, what land do you want to have? 
Well, duh. Lot looks at the green, uh, uh, beautiful valley, and he says, I'm going to take the valley. And Abraham took what was left. But what a heart, right? When you think about the faith of Abraham, he could have said, you know, hey, Lot, um, it's because of me that you're here. Uh, I'm the one that heard from God. I should have first pick, right? So uh, I should be the one that gets the, the valley and, and you be happy with what's left because the reason that you're with me is because of me. And he doesn't do that. Pretty cool, right? I like that image of believing in God, trusting in God, holds my future, and not fighting for my own rights and making my own way, but believing that God is for me, and if God is for me, who will be against me? So I trust God. Beautiful a sermon in a sermon, right? So the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are, and look north, south, east, and west. And all the land you see I give to you, and your offspring, what's a magical word? Forever. Wow. It's a promise. God is a God of covenant. When you give, when you give your life to Jesus, there's a covenant that happened. And that is God will never let you dry. God will never walk away from you. You might rebel and walk away from God, but God will always persist and always seek after you. I like to give this illustration, and I know for some of you, if you've been here for many years, you've heard me tell this story. I think it's a fantastic story that kind of shaped me when I was a young pastor. I was around 27, 29. What happened is I was pastoring in a small community, and there's a neighboring town that was, there was a church from the same denomination, and they were lacking, they were, they were in, in lack of a pastor, and they couldn't fill the pulpit. So they asked us, our church, to fill their pulpit. We had a Bible college for students. And so what happened is that for about six to eight months, we went to that church, and we took over the services and the Bible study and until they could find a pastor. So we did that. And every Wednesday, I would go to that church. I would prepare myself in the afternoon for the Bible study. I would arrive at church around noon and then be there in the afternoon and then prepare for the evening. But that day, out of the blue, I went in the morning. I don't know. I can't remember why I went in the morning. I went, I went to church in the morning. I was in the office. I was leaving the office around 11 a.m., and I heard the phone ring, and I said, well, we have an answering machine, so uh, I won't answer the phone. But then, ah, you know, I might as well go. So I ran in the secretary, secretary's office, and I picked up the phone. And I said, hey. And then this guy was calling from New Brunswick, and he was saying, my, my aunt She's in the hospital right now. She's dying. And she experienced the Lord when she was 13 to 15. And um, it was through um, tent ministry. There was a, a wave of the Pentecostal movement on Newfoundland. And, and a lot of people gave their lives to the Lord on the island. And uh, she gave her life to the Lord when she was 13, 15. And then she walked away from the Lord and, and left uh, the, the Maritimes and, and went more through, she had moved to northern Ontario, and now she was on her dying bed, and she was drinking from a, from a sponge. So, so she t he tells me, do you want to go and visit her? I said, sure. So I went to the hospital, the family was there, the family did not know me, so I introduced myself, I, to I told them what happened, and I said, can I pray for your mom? And they invited me in, it was dark, and, and so I went beside her, and I said to her, remember when you were 13, 15? 
when you give your life to the Lord, when you encountered God, when God came into your life, in your life, and she started to cry, tears flowing down her face, you know. And I said, would you like to, 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 to renew your, your, your love for God? Would you like to give your life to Jesus or come back to him? And she nodded her head. Yeah, and the family were all crying. It was a, it was a divine moment. And then I prayed for her. The presence of God was on her, and, and she was prepared to face eternity. What I did is I went down the stairs and I sat in my car and I, and I cried like a baby and I, I could see God as a master chess player. Like he knows all about our lives and God is a faithful God. He never breaks his covenant. And I, I saw the covenant of God. Even though she walked away from God, God revealed himself to her on her dying bed. It's so phenomenal, right? So this is the God we serve, a God of covenants. And God made a covenant with Israel. And so he'll never break that covenant because he made a covenant with Abraham. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. How will they be a blessing? Through the seed. And the seed is Jesus. Through the line. And the line, the focus is the Messiah. It says in verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curse you, uh, I will curse, and the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So you see the blessing and the cursing. So we want to be a people that blesses Israel. Not that we agree with everything they do, but we understand that there's a covenant that was made with God in, 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 the, in Abraham's uh, family tree, and God will honor that. But again, what, or, what blesses us from Israel, the main thing is Jesus. If you look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, it says, I will establish my cov covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So you see, God said, I'll make a covenant with you forever. And I believe this is what Luther forgot or did not know. And, and some of people in the history of the church forgot that God made a covenant with, uh, with Israel. When I was a kid, when I would do something that was displeasing my mom, she would say, oh, you little Jew. She would say that in French. She would say, mon petit juif, toi. That's what she would say. And because for, in her thought, the Jews were like... Uh, uh, like rejected or didn't, like we're not, we're, we're bad. And, and, and so that's the culture of religion. We've heard, I don't know if you've heard that, but as being, as I grew up, that was kind of the, the, the thought that the Jews were bad people. Uh, the reality is there's no bad, there's no evil race, right? Actually, First John says, if you, um, if you do not have love, then you're not from God because God is love. We should never have hatred in our hearts, right? For whatever nation, whatever kind of, whatever the, uh, whatever the gender, whatever peop what people are going through, there should never be hatred. And there's no reason for the church to hate the Jews and actually had it all wrong. And because they lost focus of, uh, 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 of the God of the covenant. We know about the new covenant between us and God because of the blood of Jesus, but we forget the covenant that God made with Abraham it's an everlasting covenant. 
So when we look at Israel, we have to realize that like it or not, God made a covenant with Israel and will be faithful to Israel. Wow. So the first thing is, why is Israel rebirth? It's because God is faithful to his word. And secondly, because Israel is still God's people. Israel is still God's people. In Romans chapter 11, verse 1 says, I asked them, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So, so why, is God, why is Israel on the map? It's because God still looks at Israel at, at, like its people. I, I think it's so cool. You know, when I was preparing for this, what really grabbed my heart was God's faithfulness, how God is faithful, that God is faithful to his word, but God is faithful to his people. You see? God is faithful to his people. And are you his people? Amen. Yeah? Are you his people? If you are his people, he's going to be faithful to you. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now, what you're facing, or what you will face. And maybe what I'm sharing to you, you, don't have to, you can't apply it now, but you will apply it one day because we all go through hard times. But we have to know that God is faithful to his people because God is a God of covenant. You see? It's way more than what we do. It's way more than the do's and the bad, uh, the good and the bad. It's to realize that God has a covenant with us as he has a covenant with Israel. So we don't want to have a theology of replacement where we think we don't care what happens in the Middle East because, hey, we are the church and we are a priest, a royal priesthood. Yes, we are, but God has a covenant with Israel because he loves his people. And I don't know, when I see God treat Israel the way he did by, does by loving them no matter what, it encourages me too as I'm journeying and as I'm doing life to know that God has a covenant with me. And it's through the blood of the Lamb. It's signed in blood through Jesus Christ. I think it's so amazing. Why, thirdly, why is Israel where it is? Why does it have land now? It's because Israel is connected with the end times. Because Israel is the thermometer of what's happening in the world. Like, for those that are a little older, I look at the last 30 years, it seems like Israel, will they be, will they, are they going to destroy Israel? Will they, like, it seems like there's always tension, right? So many books are written on, oh, it's the end because Israel is under attack. Or, and it seems like it was like that for 30 years. And I believe it's like what Jesus says in Matthew 24, like uh, the... the, the um, when Jesus talks about the birth pains, and I think as we're going in history, uh, in time, like I was sharing a few Sundays ago about the funnel, I believe that the contraction of the birth pain will come closer and closer, and, and they're more closer than before. Before there was some, um, some, some events that were happening, but now it seems like, like events are happening back to back. And one of the reason, one of the goal of the enemy, listen to this, the reason why we will see more more stuff happening regarding Israel from the Antichrist through wars regarding Israel. It's because God made a covenant, covenant with Israel and the devil doesn't like it. There's going to be a war that will happen against the church too because God made a covenant with the church. So the enemy dislikes the church because of the covenant. Right? For sure, if we live our Christian life in an ungodly manner, we might deserve what comes our way. 
right? But when you walk in love and you walk in the ways of God, hell doesn't like it. So this is why we look at our world. You can talk about any other gods, false gods or religion. But the moment you start to talk about Jesus, hair goes up. And for those that have hair, it goes up too, right? It's because there's a battle going on. So when we look at Israel, the tension will increase in Israel. Why? Because of the covenant. You see? So, so at one point, there will be a war in the Middle East. Why? Because of the dislikeness of the covenant. So it's important for us to see that and to understand that. So Israel is surrounded by nations that are screaming for their blood. And it's been like that since 48 and even before that. But God will not abandon Israel. You know why? Covenant God. Covenant God. For them, covenant God regarding the church too. Need to remember that. Because what happened is we get caught by events. We get caught by what we see and we forget that God is a God of covenant. You look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25, when it comes to the end time, the revival in Israel, this is a mystery. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a heartening um, in part until the full, the full number of the Gentiles has come in, meaning that there's a harvest of Gentiles that will come in, and it started to come in, but it's continuing. In verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will return uh, godliness away from Jacob. It, there's, there's a prophetic word here that at one point, all Israel will be saved. They're not going to be saved because they're Israelites. They're going to be saved because they're going to see the Messiah. And they're all going to bend their knees and acknowledge Jesus as their Savior. Right now, many of them are not. But so there's going to be a tension that will happen in Israel because of the covenant. And then war will set in and Jesus will stand on behalf of the bride, the church, and also his people. Why? Because God is a God of covenant. He's not like us. He doesn't lie. When he agrees, when he makes an agreement, when he made an agreement with Abraham, it was for life. Cool, eh? I think it's so amazing. We have the Bible and we, we see the Israelite go left and right, right? And see the grace of God. It's the same thing with your life. You might be going left and right. God is a God of covenant and he's going to pursue you. You might be here and you're, and, and you're a young adults and you can't wait to leave the home to live according to whatever you want. You say, I'll do whatever I want. But I'm going to let you know that God will never let you go. He will always be after you. He will always be seeking after you. For sure, God doesn't bypass your free will. But he's going to be on your tail. Like maybe you're here and you're not following Jesus. Well, i got to let you know that God is on your tail. Because you know what? If you said to Jesus at one point, yes, in your life, sincerely, and you submitted your life to God, not only when you were five years old, when your mother told you, give your life to Jesus, and because you're going to go to hell, and you were afraid of fire and hell, so you gave your life to the Lord. A little deeper than that is when you committed your life to Jesus from your heart. Well, God says, you're mine. And when I seek after you, I'm going to hunt you down in a good way. Beautiful story of grace, right? I, I don't know how it all works out. I don't know. I'm, I'm not talking. Uh, what I'm saying, I don't know exactly how it works out when it comes to de details. But I know one thing is God is a covenant God. Amen. Amen. So he loves you so much. 
And he loves Israel so much, and I don't want to miss out on that. So I want to stand in the knowledge of God, and I want to be aware that God will never forsake me. God had a future for Israel, even though it seemed to be so dark. Nobody thought they would come back to the promised land, and they did. Well, God has a future for me and a future for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.